0: Welcome, everyone, to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as almost always, by Carrie Smith. Uh, Hello, Carter. Today, we get to be joined by Kenny Xu. Kenny is a journalist for The Federalist and The Daily Signal, and the author of the upcoming book, An Inconvenient Minority The Ivy League Admi- Admissions Cases and the Attack on Asian American Excellence, which you can pre order on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. He's the lead insider on the Harvard admissions case and the broader attack on the meritocracy in our culture today. He's also producing a corresponding Inconvenient Minority podcast, and I think you're going to get to hear Kerry as a guest on that podcast uh, when it's out. Uh, You can follow him on social media, on Twitter, at uh, Kenny M. Xu, and probably other places. Kenny, why don't you tell us uh, where else people can find you? Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. Carter, Kerry, great to see you. Um, yeah, I mean, I love your show. I've listened to a several podcasts now episodes and everything like that. And, you know, what got me interested, you know, you talk just some very hard hitting, interesting topics in our culture today. And I think that this topic surrounding Asian Americans and admissions and then also the large meritocracy, um, kind of ties in. Why
0: don't you tell and, people uh, who aren't familiar with yeah. the Harvard case, uh, what that's about? Cause I'm not sure it has gotten a lot of mainstream press coverage.
1: Sure, yeah. So um in 20 uh it, about 5 years ago, a group of Asian American um applicants to Harvard actually sued the university for discriminating against them. Now, the rationale for the discrimination wasn't that they wanted to admit, you know, more white people, but was that they wanted to admit um more uh, black and Hispanic or minorities of other races, and of course harvard's rationale for doing that is because they want a diverse class um, and so i I became really interested in this issue because I think it pits together very it puts together very nicely the the fundamental tension that you see when you try to have diversity ideology right and the, and the fundamental tension is 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 this idea of meritocracy right How far are you willing to go? in terms of having this the so-called benefits of diversity especially racial diversity um, when you compromise meritocracy because what's happening in the harvard case is that asian americans have to get higher test scores and higher grades to have the same chance of admission as other races and so obviously you're having um, issues of you know who is the more most qualified applicant coming in uh to this case so I decided to cover it and you know it's really cool
0: it's interesting right because um Mm -hmm. without the Asian community you would basically Mm -hmm. have this argument from whites which no one wants to pay attention to because they're the majority and you know considered evil culturally uh, and they they can't play the minority race card you would have to have this Mm -hmm. conversation from whites saying hey wait a minute if you're lowering standards for other groups this this affects the meritocracy um Mm -hmm. but the Asian community is interesting because they, you can, you can kind of play the minority card status, but actually you outperform whites on average in all these categories, <laughs> and so it's affecting it's affecting the Asian community actually more than it's affecting the white community. And I imagine that uh, people who love identity politics get stuck in this between a rock and a hard place where they're supposed mm-hmm. to care about the minority group, but on the other hand, they really hate meritocracy.
1: Yeah, um, Carrie mentioned this uh, great song uh, the other day, and her podcast uh, in this podcast, uh, the forty-hour week. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, are you a
2: fan? <laughs> Alabama.
1: <laughs> I love country music. I love country music. <laughs> I
2: love even um, even eighties pop country like Alabama. Yeah.
1: I like. Yeah. <laughs> I think for a lot of Asians, it's the sixty hour a week, right?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, so
0: if if I, none of the Asians I know in uh, Silicon Valley work forty hour weeks, so let's just say. <laughs>
1: um, it's 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 you have the uh, you have um, I mean it, it's it's kind of like what especially in school, and the statistics back this up, Asian-Americans study about twice as hard as the average American or twice as many hours as the average American. So they're going to school and they're doing extracurriculars and they're studying all the way back. And this is consistently true, not just for rich Asian-Americans, but for poor Asian-Americans too. There's still an educational bump that's associated with that. So it's kind of like, well, um, the, the, the fruits that they're supposed to reap from – Working hard uh, on education and academically are actually being systematically deprived by these Ivy League universities. Um, and so, if you're caring about minorities and if you want them to work hard and you want them to succeed at what they do, then you have to really, uh, then you have to really reconcile that. I think.
2: Can you talk a little bit about what happened? As a result of the Harvard lawsuit, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they decide at the end of this past year that they were going to clear Harvard of wrongdoing?
1: The Court of Appeals decided that they were going to clear Harvard of of wrongdoing, but actually um, the case is actually going to the Supreme Court. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a There's an appeal being filed from the plaintiff group to the Supreme Court right now. Um, and this is, this is, this is probably in terms of, if we want to talk about the politics of affirmative action, this is, this is probably the best chance that they got (laughs) because, um, uh, because, you know, we have a, there's, there is a slightly more, you know, according to policy analysts or maybe a slightly more conservative bent in the Supreme court. And then also, um, Asian Americans, provide a very interesting and compelling case, you know, towards what happens when you basically explicitly institute racial preferences, which is what Ivy League colleges do. They they explicitly admit and they mm-hmm. say loud and clear, Yeah, we want for the sake of a diverse class, we're gonna have racial preferences.
2: Which is which is mm-hmm. institutionalized and systemic racism by definition. <laughs> Where have I
0: heard that before? Mm-hmm. But they don't. We
2: <laughs> but they don't seem to respond to that. Can you talk a little bit about what the response has been from people who believe that this is that it's okay to have the, the racial preferences in mm-hmm. college admissions or hiring or what have you? What, what's usually I I'm familiar with what people yeah. say to me. What can you tell people what kind of response you're used to hearing?
1: Well, I'll tell you the response that I hear. in my Asian American community of people who are supportive of racial preferences. And this, this, I mean, I, I outlay this in my book *An inconvenient minority. Um, But in my Asian American community, you're, you're very likely to hear this line of reasoning. Um, You know, Asian Americans are a privileged minority. You know, we are a minority that, that, that participates in the, um, I guess, act of whiteness or the uh, the complicity wow. in whiteness. And the black community is so much more deprived than the Asian community. Um, and so, I mean, there's this uh, ad- argument that's advanced by this Yale um, Chinese American student that s- caused quite a stir in the Chinese American community where she basically argues the Asian, and this is, I directly quote her here, I think there's no, there's no, yeah, I directly quote her here. She says, my Asian American community owes everything to the black community. And we have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, my Asian American community is um, often anti-black. And so it's, it's the intentional for Asian Americans who support this. there is this intentional privileging of the black victimhood narrative over the Asian American victimhood narrative that allows them to reconcile this.
2: So I'm, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I just, Mm -hmm. I wonder if you've ever, if you've ever talked to any of these people beyond, beyond just them stating this and ask them, so is this complicity in whiteness? First of all, what do they mean by whiteness? And secondly, Um, Is that a conscious thing that Asian, the Asian American community does? And if so, why don't other communities become complicit in whiteness so that they can uh, beat whites at everything?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, well, I I would urge you to there's there's this this article that I think outlays this pretty well, at least their perspective. This article in The Atlantic 2018 by this woman named Iris Quo. she talks about the so-called whitening of Asian Americans, where she talks about how Asian Americans have sort of, um, adopted the facets of, of white culture and have made it, um, I mean, in the sense that, that, that they have, that they have, um, culturally become, uh, like white people. And and she says that as if that's a bad thing.
2: And yeah. not like white people, though, if they're if they're defining whiteness as mm-hmm. academic success or financial success or average income level, um, mm-hmm. then then Asian people have become whiter than white people. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> well, so this, this is yeah, the thing that is hair. weird, though, because <laughs> this
0: isn't. Um, yeah. If you go to Shenzhen, uh, I mean, the reason that Chinese or just Asian Americans are outperforming one of the reasons is because they bring a non-white culture with them i mean i know plenty of asian americans in the bay area Mm -hmm. who you know they'll they'll have their kids here and they'll bring their kids back to china periodically and you know maybe they'll move back and forth and when they're here it's like Mm -hmm. well the standards are low and everyone around them doesn't work very hard and when they're back in china uh they're kind of you know, and so over here they're kind of the top of their class because they do their homework and and you know kind of yeah. work hard, but not you know harder than everyone else, but not super hard. And they go back to China and they're kind of struggling yeah. at the back of the class because everyone's working way harder. So mm-hmm. it, it it's almost reversed. The success that they've enjoyed in the U.S. is precisely because they haven't adopted white culture. It's because they bring the culture of hard work and mm-hmm. studying from China to the United States. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. Yeah. It is it's it is the opposite, actually. You're right. Um, I, I quote this study um, in my book, and I integrate it a little bit. Um, there's a study uh, that talks exactly about the Bay Area cultures that you're talking about and how Asians are actually starting to be viewed as the superordinate race, especially in the academic race. And actually, that inspires resentment. That actually inspires resentment from many white progressive people. Um, you... There's a there was a study that showed that when the fact was acknowledged that Asian Americans tended to perform better on standardized tests before they're asked the question of whether they support standardized tests, the average white American act support of standardized tests actually drops. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, <laughs> there they're principals. principal. Oh, that- <laughs> <laughs> the the the. Uh, the it, it's we talk about it, We you still one thing that i do acknowledge here in this book is that race still matters in the sense of stereotyping and in a sense of actually affecting public sentiment um you uh and I actually, I mean, this this is a classic statistic of with, with Asian Americans with respect to that. But um, if you think about it, if you are a white elite progressive, you know, living in, you know, the Bay Area or New York, who, what racial group is primarily likely to be your competition in terms of tech, finance, in terms of the consulting professions that you're at? Well, it's Asian Americans. Asian Americans are disproportionately likely to be your competition. And so, sometimes, I mean, most of the time it's dealt with all right, but sometimes there there is a little bit of that resentment politics that plays into account when when people go against, when people go after things like standardized tests and when people go after things like Asian's academic performance.
0: There seems to be, the Asian community, in my experience though, <clears throat> seems mm-hmm. to also have an advantage in that they don't... They're not quick to feel guilt about their success, whereas the white community is very quick to to feel bad about, oh, I'm sorry that we're achieving. It must be because mm-hmm. of racism. It must be because of this. We must mm-hmm. be bad for some reason. This is why these other people aren't achieving. By and large, especially Asians who are fresh from Asia, they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't seem to give a crap about feeling guilty about their success, Yeah, oh, which seems to be an advantage.
1: Well, that's changing. That's changing, especially with the second gen and the third gen Asian Americans who are by and large go to you know universities to get educated and get put into this ideological banner and system and and the mill. Um, I was talking with a friend, an Asian American friend the other day who went to a gifted and talented magnet school, the same one that I went to actually. Um, and, and he was Asian American and everything like that. And he basically told me, yeah, like... The only reason why I got in was because of luck. Like I was lucky and honestly there was a lot of, you know, um racism at the school and I was complicit in that and yeah, we should we should throw away all of the tests for admission because we I know that wow. we just game it. Yeah, we just game the test. Throw tests. away
2: the test. So how do you determine who's gifted and talented? Do they have no they well, have no <laughs>
0: Well, I don't think they like the my, idea of gifted and talented. Generally.
1: They don't like. They don't like the idea of give Nicole Hannah Jones. You know, tweeted out this. Uh, yeah, you know, abolish gifted and talented programs. She said that direct tweet. Also, Lowell High School in San Francisco, um, uh, just voted. The school board just voted a resolution to abandon the standardized test and for admissions there. They're going to go entirely by lottery. Now it's entirely by lottery for admissions. Wow. That is the only one of only two schools in the San Francisco region that actually has merit-based admissions requirements, and they abandoned that. Um, and it, you know, it used, to, of course, to be one of the best schools in the nation. Now, who knows where what it's going to be?
2: So let me ask you a question. We kind of talked yeah. about this when I was on your show a
1: sure. little
2: bit, but why why do you think it is that uh, culturally? we Mm -hmm. are we are more if you think of if you think of a a story about equity harrison bergeron which we mention a lot by kurt vonnegut if you think of of you know in that story uh it's this it's this futuristic this this dystopia where they've tried to compensate for everyone's talents and gifts by handicapping people in all the areas that they're gifted in so if you're beautiful you have to wear a bag over your face if you're Mm -hmm. a good dancer and you're in a dance troupe. You have to put weights on your limbs so that you dance poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you're smart, they put a, a buzzer, a device on your head to interrupt your thoughts. So mm-hmm. in this, where we're at now, and I think we're we're heading towards possibly some kind of nightmare scenario like *Harrison Bergeron*.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Why is it though that um when why is it though and where we're at now? Why are we focusing on gifted and talented? gifted and talented when it comes to academics? Why are we focusing on people who are talented, whether it's IQ or who work really hard Mm -hmm. and who succeed at school and who achieve at school? Why is it easier to tear those kids down than it is to tear down kids who are gifted and talented in music or in sports? I mean, nobody's talking about getting rid of um uh, the qualifications to join the nba and let's just let's just pick Mm -hmm. our nba players by lottery yeah let's
0: be more chinese nba players clearly well (laughs) now they are starting
1: yeah they are actually starting to go after classical music a little bit heather mcdonald writes a little bit about that um but uh but uh academics um i think academics is what we need to understand about the left the woke left is that the woke left still borrows and still at, maintains an allyship with liberals? I don't mean like liberals, like classical liberals. I mean like liberals, as in like people on the left side of the spectrum, on the to vote Democratic, who they have a certain liberal mentality. Um, you need to dif- distinguish between the woke activist left and then liberals. Um, you know especially professional elite class liberals and professional elite class liberals are under this are are captivated by this narrative of life right now where in um where college and prestige define everything where getting into the best college getting into elite colleges and then getting elite jobs Define everything about your life. Define your progression through your life. It's like kind of like a linear linearity sort of path. An example of this: Daniel Markovitz, meritocracy trap. He just Yale Law School professor. He talks about, oh, you know, um, if uh, if you are not the 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 key advantage, and liberals advance this argument a lot. The key advantage that advantages you in society is whether you go to college. Um, is whether you go to co- it's the co- it's college itself that allows you to advance in society. So there, there are so thinking about this from a leftist perspective, but a leftist perspective that borrows a lot from liberal narrative. Academics is is since it since it is n- especially elite academics getting into these colleges, getting into these elite jobs, the McKinseys and the Bains of the world and stuff like that. If you actually subscribe to that that mode of thought, but you're concerned about equity, of course, fundamentally, you're going to target academics as with as as, as the, the razor.
0: Right, right. So this is the idea just to, I'm trying to distill what you're saying. This is yeah. the idea that uh, David Hogg, because he got into Harvard will now be much more successful than if he yeah. hadn't come into Harvard. Harvard is the springboard um, from which his life will be propelled into greatness.
1: And there's mixed evidence. There's mixed evidence about that. Um, there, there is a point that the liberals are making. I think it's it's more true. I think with the humanities than it is with the the math and science and STEM. If you, it's actually major selection is more of an impact on your lifetime earnings than prestige of college. Um, but if you want to major, I guess in something like English or something like that. And maybe I mean having a prestigious college background may help you in that process, at least to get your foot in the foot in the door. But um, I mean, it, by no means is that is that the rule. I mean, I didn't go to Harvard, but I still got my book deal. So.
0: but that's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy right because it's um i feel like they've set this up for themselves because the more Mm -hmm. the more objectively measurable your skill set is the less important is it it is whether or not you went to a college so i've hired hundreds of engineers in my life and some of the best ones didn't graduate high school um they were Mm -hmm. self-taught or they maybe graduated and didn't go to college they were self-taught but they were super good because it whether you're a good coder or not is completely objectively measurable. You can look at a GitHub repository, you can see how they code, you can Mm -hmm. see what they've built them building it is better than them saying i have a degree from prestigious university x saying i can build things mm-hmm. but if you move into the humanities where there are basically no objective standards um mm-hmm. and everything's about who you know and are you in the right, right click and do you you know go to the right cocktail parties and and say the right things well mm-hmm. at that point your your membership to that club of elites is really dependent on your pedigree to a right. to a much less extent than your talent
1: that's a great point that's a great point. And it leads in directly to my point about Asian Americans, which is that Asian Americans, by and large, in general, focus on on creating uh, in-demand skills. I, I would say skills. We focus on skills building. We focus a lot on our merit, on, on our merit. You know, this is why Google and Facebook are 45% Asian, 45% Asian American, total employees, total tech employees, 55% Asian. Um, and 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 in my book, I actually tell the stories of a few engineers. They basically like, yeah, my soft the software engineering side of Google and Facebook, which is possibly the most important. It's a big part of Google and Facebook. Without your software engineers, without the people who can code reams of data, you're not going to get anywhere near the product that you have today. Um, these are the most irreplaceable employees. They're ninety. They they say like 90% asian. Wow. Um, yeah, 90% asian. And and um what was my point? Oh yeah. So Asian Asian American this is this is just a classic because I'm using the extremes to prove the mean here. But um the this is a classic example of Asian Americans f- focusing really hard on cultivating meritorious skills. And I think that that works by and large, it helps Asian Americans get to the top third of society in terms of median income. Pretty easily works pretty well, I would say. But there are sacrifices that you make with that, um, and and there are reasons why Asian Americans have to do that because we don't come here with connections, we don't come here with social connections, we don't have the ability to withstand a a we don't have the ability to withstand a process that isn't meritocratic, and it sort of makes it a little bit fragile, especially when you have these woke equity ideologues coming into power, and you see the decline of meritocracy. If meritocracy in America declines substantially, I think Asian Americans are going to be disproportionately hard hit.
2: I think so, too. Point. And I think that yeah. it would. It, it becomes clear to me that it's very important for them to indoctrinate Asian Americans, especially second and third generation Asian Americans into this mm-hmm. belief system so that they become like the Yale student you mentioned. So that they become Asians who are, um, who have this sense of collective guilt on behalf of their race and who have this, this sense of like your friend, that anything they have mm-hmm. is based on luck and not their own,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, qualifications or hard work because otherwise, if 90% of the people who are actually making Google and Facebook work
1: mm-hmm.
2: are Asian yeah, and they don't buy into this belief system
1: mm-hmm.
2: and they recognize that this belief system is specifically targeting them in some ways. Well, then, who's going to change your code to do all the censorship that you need to do? Who's going to change your, like, yeah. like these are the people who build big social. Yeah. And big social is being used as a tool mm-hmm. by this ideology at the mm-hmm. moment to, yeah. to spread this mind virus and to mm-hmm. censor people who speak out against it. Well, you got to get the Asian Americans on board with it.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know no well historically
0: i mean you've brought this up i read the excerpt There's a free chapter i it's i don't know if it's a whole chapter it's a free chapter on Mm -hmm. on amazon uh because i know your book's not out yet but Mm -hmm. you've met you've you've talked about how like historically asians actually you didn't mention this that i that i remember but it seems to Mm -hmm. me today to say that there's a lot of discrimination against asian americans broadly is probably not true like in the culturally sense people don't run around Mm -hmm throwing racism at asian americans generally um but there that that's not always been true historically like historically mm-hmm. asian americans were just as i would i, I would say just as oppressed. pressed i mean I, i'm not trying to compare it to slavery but i mean like post-slavery yeah. and like the kind of uh i'll say the white supremacist kind of attitude the anti-foreigner attitude they suffered mm-hmm. from that just as much as other groups
1: exactly i mean they they've suffered from and this is this is the argument that asian americans are a privileged minority i i break down a lot in the book um, it's fascinating it's really really interesting to do it um, there are there are a lot of people who say oh asian americans haven't suffered as much most of them came after 1965 immigration and nationality act which you know allowed a lot of asian and that was after legalized and segregation discrimination was over um, that is that is that is an argument that they use, and that's something that needs to be wrestled with. Here's here's my here's my point about that. Um, first of all, Asian Americans who've lived here in this country have, for a long time, for generations, have definitely experienced a lot of discrimination, uh, Chinese exclusion, Japanese internment, those kinds of things before 1965. But uh, a more a, An even more fundamental point is that Asian Americans have experienced a lot of oppression and discrimination from their home countries, like a lot, a lot. I mean, there's so many Chinese Americans who fled the Cultural Revolution, who fled Maoist policies, who fled the limitation of their speech. There's so many Vietnamese Americans who come here with basically pennies to their name, not even that, um, not even pennies to their name, and they're fleeing, you know, um communist oppression um and and corruption and those kinds of things and so many of those refugees arrived in the 70s 80s with nothing and so they've experienced it's not like Asian Americans come in here and we're like all crystal clean we've never experienced oppression in our lives a ton of us have experienced a ton of oppression in our lives um whether it's in it was in historically in this country or um whether it was in our home countries.
0: Yeah. And and yet as a community, they've clearly outperformed.
1: Which, I mean, which raises the whole idea of the, the, complete, uh, boogeyman of the left culture. I mean, you cannot, you cannot explain Asian American success and the left has attempted to do it. They have attempted to do it through things like, Oh, the, the privileged minority, their association with whiteness or whatever that is. Um, the uh you cannot explain asian american success in this country th- through anything but a cultural explanation.
2: See the issue here is that woke wokeness, social justice ideology, mm-hmm. this the social justice part of the left and mm-hmm. I know you know this but they they always they start with their conclusion in hand. They don't follow the scientific me- method. They they start mm-hmm. with their conclusion in hand. If they see a disparity they say, well, it must be because of oppression, because of racism or sexism or homophobia, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they don't actually find, they'll cherry pick evidence to try to back that up, but it doesn't hold water when you test it, when you test that theory. So for example, they'll say um, trans people have a very Mm -hmm. high suicide rate because they face discrimination that's why they have a side and they and they start with that premise right that's why they have it and then when you point out something like really because black people face discrimination and historically face discrimination Mm -hmm. and they have a very low suicide rate lower than white people yep And they don't have an answer for that it's like it works over here for trans it works over here for me to say high suicide rate because of discrimination it doesn't Mm -hmm. work over here i'm gonna ignore that and they do the same thing when it comes to asian american success they'll say well the reason that on average uh black students and 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 hispanic students are not scoring as high you know and, and are not getting admitted to these ivy league schools at, at the same rate must yeah. be because of racism and discrimination. You yeah. say, well, really, because Asian Americans have, Asians have experienced mm-hmm. discrimination. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. That doesn't work to take that. Pra- yeah. You're, it doesn't hold water when you try and test that hypothesis, but they ignore <laughs> yeah. that. It may, I don't know. I don't really have a question there. It just makes me really frustrated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is totally cool. Is, I, look, this, this is so, so fascinating because Carter, what you were talking about as well about it's the things that the Asian Americans bring that are not from America that help them to advance uh, in some in some circumspect in this in this society, um, some circumstance, excuse me. And and I think that you know, um, 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 I, I agree, right? I mean, like, uh, for I mean, it's it's just you you cannot. To say that, to say that Asian Americans are getting where they are today in society because of of, of proximity to whiteness or something like that, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any right, sense that, it's, because, it's like, because oh, what, prox- what is the most proximal to whiteness? It's whiteness. It's white. Yeah, <laughs> but- but that's if why white I think it's funny because, right.
2: But that's why I think yeah. it's funny though, because if if that's what if what they're yeah. defining as whiteness, which first of all is super yeah. racist to define um yeah. uh academic achievement as whiteness, but if that's what they're defining as whiteness, well then Asians are whiter than white people. Yeah. <laughs> Asians, which doesn't well, make so any sense. It doesn't make any <laughs>
0: sense. I mean, I would say to I would say to people who make that argument, like go visit Shenzhen and you'll not see a whiter place then, right? Because mm-hmm. that that's where all of these things that are categorized as white, um, you know, reason, uh, hard work, meritocracy, mm-hmm. like uh, all this mm-hmm. stuff, like showing up on time, whatever it is, Sacrifice. like all these things mm-hmm. that are categorized as whiteness are mm-hmm. frankly more prevalent in parts of Asia than they are in... Mm -hmm. average american towns and cities so Mm -hmm. uh it's it's actually i don't know if there's really a a question in there but i I guess i guess i do have a question about your your contention uh that you know the abcs are less chinese than the uh, american-born chinese like the the second generation third generation fourth generation Mm -hmm. are kind of becoming more woke what do you think is going to happen like do, do you do you think that this is going to are they just going to get absorbed into leftist white culture and cease to be kind of their own category because because like mm-hmm. that has happened with other ethnic groups right if you look at you know mm-hmm. 100 years ago italians weren't the same as yeah. uh polish or what <laughs> like, white people right. right
1: the irish were not considered white people Right. Uh, they are, had are become... asians
0: going to be not considered different? Are they going to just end up being assimilated? And it's like they're the, the non-person of color now?
1: There's, there's, there's two. Really, you're pointing out two trends. One is with the woke trend, and then one is with the actual American trend that's going on. First, I want to address the woke trend. You need to understand the process for how second generation and third generation Asian Americans are pulled into woke ideology. Okay. First, they go into college, and they attend, you know, a mandatory diversity seminar, like I was mandatory, like I was forced to attend, you know, when I was a freshman at Davidson. Um, they're they're forced to attend a mandatory diversity seminar, and in this diversity seminar, they get lulled in by the fact that they're a person of color. It's the idea, okay, a, you are a person of color. Um, so the 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 sales pitch effectively of wokeness is that we want you to align with us because you're aligning with the whole broader person of color movement. You're and special and yeah, you're and, and you're not, special
2: and not with the oppressors. With
1: yeah, the you're not people. with the oppressors. We don't want you to be with the oppressors like the white people. You get you have your own victim narrative. Come and come to our victim narrative. And so the Asian Americans get suckered in you know, they, you know, then they're taught things like, you know, we need to acknowledge that, you know, even among people of color, there are more privileged people of color than others. So you're still part of our group, but we're going to ask you to have to sacrifice some things. We're going to have to ask you to uh, uh, just explain or not explain, um, what's what's the word that that people interrogate? um
2: interrogate your whiteness you know,
1: <laughs> interrogate the, the remnants of the whiteness that you still have which are things like oh hard work and achievement and those kinds of things and the agents are like oh yeah like i, I want to be in solidarity with you like i want to be in solidarity with you i i don't and of course the test is racist of course you know those kinds of things um you know and and fundamentally, in the, these are things that obviously first generation Asian Americans do not believe whatsoever by, by a very large majority. And so fundamentally, what happens is that there's a lot of tension between the first gen community and their values and the second gen and their values. And it oftentimes it comes to a head, you know, in Asian American communities and they butt heads about it.
2: Let me jump in here because this is yeah. this was my experience as well. And I know you're quite a bit younger than me. But when I was indoctrinating at Duke, it was similar. They, they, they pitch it. They sell it. You call it a, a sales pitch. They sell yeah. it to people based on what marginalized status they check off within the ideology. Because you know it's mm-hmm. all about like everyone's – every little bit of your, your identity, right, yeah. is – they divide it up into whether you're, you're privileged or you're marginalized, whether mm-hmm. you're the oppressor or the oppressed. And right, so right. they sell it to women – Mm-hmm. Um, in much the yeah. same way, they lull you in by saying you're you're in an oppressed class. You are mm-hmm. a victim. You may not have known this. You may not have realized this your whole life. Mm-hmm. You're here at this elite institution. Yet, <laughs> 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 yeah, just imagine how far you would be if you weren't in the oppressed class. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so you they were a man, yes, yeah.
2: and they bring you in with this, and then. Then, like you said, then they start talking to you about, okay, within the group of women, mm-hmm. now there are people who are have higher degrees of privilege than others, and that's based on race. And so they start breaking yeah. you down into the hierarchy. And same thing, you're going to have to interrogate your straightness or your whiteness, yeah. and you're going to have to. And, and what an interesting thing that what you said about uh-huh. um, when they mean you need to interrogate the remnants of whiteness, they mean as Asian Americans, you need to interrogate um, your belief in in values like hard work or mm-hmm. individualism or achievement, and they do the same thing to women. They kind of yeah. they try and they try and um, get you to associate those things with whiteness and with maleness. You know that yeah. there's something bad about these things because these are things that the white male patriarchy has propped mm-hmm. up, and mm-hmm. and it, it just strikes me that. That what's a, what's the end result of this of this belief system when they're doing when they're mm-hmm. taking people who have presumably gotten to where they are in part because they valued hard work achievement and now mm-hmm. they're being told to tear those values down. Where, where do mm-hmm. we go from there? If the end result is
1: that? the end result is an entirely separate hierarchy. Uh, they create They create another hierarchy. Then the creation of the hierarchy puts themselves at the top. That's what it is. Um, the instead of the hierarchy being about meritocracy and, and merit, the hierarchy is now about race. And if you are a certain race based on your background, you are at the top. They, they would say you're at the bottom. But the reason why they would say that you're at the bottom is because you can get the unmerited privileges of being so-called at the bottom, um, which is, of course, you know, the social capital, the racial preferences, um, the, 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 the pole position in the diversity and inclusion in the very lucrative diversity and inclusion movement. Um, power that's comes what's from happening. the
0: bottom in their, in their, mm-hmm. uh, in their worldview, power is derived mm-hmm. from how close to the bottom you are. Get, they believe right, in back-
2: redist- redistributing power. They basically yeah. are like, mm-hmm. these groups have power. These groups don't let's flip it.
0: Right. Right. Um so uh can you can you you're gonna talk about assimilation though. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of get back to that.
1: Yes, yes, the second the second part about assimilation. Um so in my in my book I there is um you know assimilation is is something that Asian Americans, many of them, when they come to this country, they want to do. They want to be a part of this country. They want to experience the benefits of this country. Why? Because back in their home countries, there was nothing like what you can experience in America today. I mean, there is nothing like it. I mean, I talked with a Vietnamese guy named Bin. Um, I interviewed him for the book, and he is a Vietnamese-American first-generation um he he comes in this country and he says back in Vietnam, everything was based on where you were in the communist uh ranks your your family background and those kinds of things and he wanted to come to this country so he didn't have to be judged based on his background so that he could have the freedom to you know pursue his own life and now he you know owns his own real estate business and and he wants to be a U.S. Air Force pilot um, because he loves this country so much. Um, there is, I think there's something fun. There's, it's, it, it brings a lot of um, clarity, I think, to me, interviewing all of these people as to why this country is exceptional. Um, because a lot of Asian Americans want to be that way. Yeah.
0: Do you think they are going to end up like Italians where someday people will just kind of lump them in with non-people of color and like, don't, you know, they don't get the people mm-hmm. of color label anymore?
1: Um, it's already happening. Uh, <laughs> they're the, uh, the, at least in the educational part, of course, for the wrong reasons, but it's still happening there. Um, there's a school in Washington that, that, and actually all of the educational literature that I read these days, it's always whites and Asians are here and and the blacks and Hispanics are down here. Um, and the Asians are lumped in with the whites. I mean, that's, that's part of the, it's part of the game. Now it's, that's how they create the achievement gap that they want to create. Because of course, if Asians were put into the same category as blacks and Hispanics, that would very much close the, or that would contribute towards closing that achievement gap metric that they want to measure. So they put Asians in with the whites so that it, that, that it isn't like that. Now that that's from a statistical perspective, but from a cultural perspective, from a cultural perspective, I think that, that Asian Americans collectively, we have to make a choice Um, and, and there has to be, there has to be some method of choice or leadership involved here I don't think that it's going to be as simple as, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of natural, I guess you would call intermarriage and things like that, where you'll have a lot of half Asian, quarter Asian, and eventually, you know, you'll have some Asian blood and in, in, in those kinds of things. But there is this ideology right now that is trying to enhance this separation. And um, I mean, Asian Americans are going to have to make a choice. It's like, do you want to, Participate in wokeness and the capital that comes with wokeness, uh, but also, of course, the detriments. Or, or do you actually want to be a part of this and assimilate into you this know, country's identity
2: right. yeah, and the yeah. meritocracy? I mean, yeah. can you can you can you talk a little bit about the um uh one of the one of the downsides of this of of this ideology infiltrating into the colleges and into the admissions process? Um, and, and also in other places in hiring decisions and stuff, can you talk about how it affects Asians, uh, you know, as a community, like how do you view it as, you know, as an individual, do you view, do you tend to view other Asians in a more competitive manner? And yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was just, I know we kind of talked about this briefly, so I wonder if you could.
1: I do. I do want to speak on that. Um, No, there's, uh, there, the, you know, growing up, you know, I grew up around a number of different Asians and things like that. And, you know, a lot of them are my friends and things like that. But the, I, the knowing that Harvard and Princeton and college, which is what a lot of Asian Americans are, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of us in our community are obsessed with those places in some cases, um but the notion of those places discriminating us against us on the basis of race you know and and does pit us asian americans uniquely against each other i would say um there were people who um like i I tell the story there's a there's a guy um who basically he was a you know a math champion in his school and things like that he was definitely number one you know, in his class in math and things like that. And then suddenly- when Totally he's breaking eighth- the stereotype there. Yeah, totally, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, but, you know, just to even further reinforce the stereotype, here comes the sixth grader when he's in eighth grade who comes onto the math team and starts competing with him in math and actually getting close to where he is. And then this guy was just, uh, was just, just had feelings of hostility towards him and things like that. Because he knew that, You know, if um, because he knew that, well, um, you know, there there was like this uh, sense in him that he was going to be judged based on people who look like him and are around him and not based on the general population. And so obviously that increases the competition culture up to 100, up to 110 in communities like this.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. When you were researching your book, did you run across Mm -hmm. any studies about the um, achievements by generation? So like first generation immigrants, second, third, fourth generation, are they maintaining uh, their status? Are they maintaining their high achievement? Or as they Mm -hmm. adopt some American ways, is that falling away?
1: Uh, Amy Chua, who I don't know. Do you guys know Amy Chua? I don't. I know of her, but. She's a uh, Yale law professor uh, or Yale um university professor. Uh she argues that Americanness can actually uh hurt Asian Americans um generationally um in some cases. Um uh and she she provides some things to suggest that. I'm, you know, I'm a little more I'm a little more mixed on that just because I think even while Asian Americans sure acquire some cultural traits that maybe are distasteful from an academic perspective, they acquire some cultural traits that are beneficial in American society. Um, you know, the number one thing that holds back a lot of Asian first generation Asian Americans in this country is language skills. They don't have good language and communication and English skills oftentimes and that can be the difference. Um, when you're second gen or third gen, obviously you acquire those at a, at a higher rate. And so you're kind of able to, to weather that as well. But there's no question though, that, I mean, there's no question though, that, you know, if you are, you know, concentrated fully on academics as as a first generation, Asian American parent, your focus is generally on academics. And so when you branch out towards other interests, I mean, that definitely has effects
0: yeah uh, but i i'm i you're taking a very holistic approach I, I i guess i meant specifically in like academic performance does it drop yeah. over generations i don't know I
1: um yeah i don't know either i don't know either i'm gonna have to i'll have to yeah i don't know either
0: because intuitively you know you sit back and mm-hmm. you look at the asian community as a, a white guy ah, uh, mm-hmm. and there is there is a work ethic that is unique absolutely especially you know you compare any random elementary mm-hmm. or high school kid in the U S to a random elementary or high school kid in, in China. And it's night yeah. and day in terms of the amount of work and effort that they're putting in to achieve. It's not even, it's like two different species. It's they're totally unrelated.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I talk about, um, I, I talk about the high rates of intermarriage, uh, among Asian Americans and especially among highly educated Asian Americans. A lot of them get married to, uh, Jewish Americans, interestingly enough. Um, there are a lot of shared work ethic though, which there's a strong work, work ethic and educational ethic that backgrounds that community as well. Um, so, so there's that as well. But in the end though, I mean, the thing is, even if Asian Americans do lose some sort of academic advantage, you know, over generations of intermar of marrying other races and stuff like that, that's kind of like, well, it's kind of like, it's a free country and you have the freedom to do that. And part of the reason why a lot of Asian Americans come to this country is to give their kids a better life than they did to have, to allow their kids to have a better quality of life than they did and have the freedom to explore and have make their own choices and things like that. And so I think every individual Asian American, yeah, they're going to have the cultural traits that they've gotten from their heritage. But um, I think uh, the second, the second, as you as you guys know, in the second place where you acquire a number of different cultural traits is when you decide to pick your partner. I mean, you take on everything from them as well. And so fundamentally in a free country where we have the freedom to do that, that's probably going to happen. But it's okay.
0: Um, yeah, no, I would not, like to say
2: at some yeah. point you, we won't have that probably. <laughs> it'll be, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a matter of preference. will pick your partner for you. Well, preference was, is bigotry. We've already seen them pushing this idea. I mean, I'm not saying it's yeah. going to happen anytime soon, but they are now in mm-hmm. academic circles and online on social media. They are now pushing the idea that any type of sexual preference when it comes to who you choose choose to date is is oppression yeah. because yeah. Yeah, you're leaving people well, out.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are leaving people out. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that just briefly. I'll talk about that just briefly. I talk about this a little in my book. Um, when you look at online dating apps, um, and you look at, um, r- online dating apps sorted by racial preference, um, Asian men are the least likely to be swiped on, interestingly enough. Um, same thing with black women, interestingly enough. Um, y- you wonder, you know, what's, what, what that's about, but, um, But so, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not saying this from like a position of strength, at least in this, in this part of the, in this part of the place. But, um, but yeah, like people are allowed to choose and maintain preferences with who they, you know, who they want to to be. And to, to say that in this very intimate part of your life, you don't have the ability to do that is just absurd to me.
2: This comedian I used to work with had a joke about, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was it was a, a section of a show he did where he talked about love versus the state of Virginia, and about mm. inter- interracial marriage. And he had yeah. this statistic where he showed um, the the uh, the percentages of different inter- interracial couples, and mm-hmm. and also the stigma attached in their own communities for dating outside of their race. Mm-hmm. And when you lined it up, it was like uh, black women face the most stigma in their community for dating Asian men and Asian men mm. face the most stigma in their community for dating black women. And it was a very small percentage of interracial marriages were Asian men and black women. And he, his punchline used to be like that little tiny percentage there. That's the only couples we know for sure are in love <laughs> <laughs> because they face all that, all that stigma. All of that anyway, going
1: through. Yeah. 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 Well, I yeah.
0: I wanted to take the conversation in an mm-hmm. uncomfortable direction before, but I didn't get to it, and I'm going to do it anyway. Um
1: please take it uncomfortably.
0: <laughs> well, how yeah. much of it is how much of Asian success is culture mm-hmm. and how much of it is IQ, right? How much of it is genetics? And and I like mm-hmm. you know, we've had Charles Murray on the show uh, to talk about ancestral populations, which is the more correct term than mm-hmm. race, so let's use that term if we're going to talk about something sensitive. Um, yeah. But ancestral populations do have different traits, different cognitive repertoires that lend themselves to different abilities. Um, mm-hmm. Have you? Did you look into any distinction between culture versus genetic cognitive repertoire as a driving factor for some of the success of Asian Americans?
1: I've looked at a couple of studies, you know, you got to study all parts of this kind of thing. There was a study that I found particularly compelling where actually Asian Americans, even with lower IQs than whites, actually Asian Americans, I think who had like a, a significant percentage of lower IQ than whites still performed at a median income or productivity level. That was, that was the same as their white counterpart with even higher IQs. Um,
0: that's
2: so that really point to that yeah. points
0: to hard work and
2: culture. And culture yeah. and hard work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's yeah, right. It, it, exactly. There's there's I think the the most significant element is cultural, I would say.
0: Interesting. But, so that's yeah. I guess that's a danger for mm-hmm. assimilating if you assimilate into a I mean, I think you know, I'm not trying to knock yeah, American culture, but American culture has gotten pretty horribly lazy and like we we sit around and feel entitled and get diabetes like we're we're pretty horrible <laughs> so that that's a that's a pretty good indication that multiple generations of assimilation into american culture is going to to pretty heavily tamp and tamp down that that uh uh asian versus white achievement gap
1: mm.
2: i don't know maybe it seems like you keep coming back to that question about like <laughs> a second. I'm,
0: I'm, I actually think it's super fascinating because i I do because I do come back to it because uh mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating I think um if I look at the two superpowers well there's I guess China I don't know if it, I guess they're considered a superpower now, but if I look in the future a little bit like China's clearly on the road to take over the world mm-hmm. um America is busy you know injecting poison into its brains and trying to figure out the best way to commit suicide slowly so mm. like that America is falling apart. Yes, you have people in America that are trying to save Western civilization and save Enlightenment values, and and maybe will be successful in some in some way in some capacity. But you've got these two dynamics going on, and China has been unleashed uh, to the to the extent that they've their when they switched from Maoism to yeah. uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics. That right. basically meant, well, we still want the. Uh, authoritarianism, but we're going to loosen the reins and let you have some free market activity and let you feel free. That's had tremendous effects. And so if I look at just globally, what's going to be happening and where things are going, I I wonder, I sometimes wonder if Mm -hmm. ultimately the torch of enlightenment values and freedom needs to be passed to Asia somehow. That's kind Mm -hmm. of where I'm going with this. And like, does it get passed through future generations? Does it, is it like, is it in America where it stays or are we going to have to ship it across the ocean and hope that it survives somewhere with a life? So,
1: well, I don't
0: this, know what kind of question you raise a, You
1: raise a really, no, you raise a really fundamental point. I mean, you raise a really fundamental point about America, which is why has this country been great? like in the first place, not just like from a, okay, yeah, we have the best political philosophy. Sure. We have a great political philosophy. No, no doubt. But why has this country become, you know, the industrial powerhouse that it is? Um, I think a lot of people argue it's because the immigrant population keeps it young. It keeps it. I mean, this is what Ronald Reagan said. You know, he said America is a country forever young, forever dreaming. Um, yeah, you know, because it is continuously getting, you know, getting immigrant populations who want to come here and work hard, who don't feel entitled, who want to, you know, try to make it in this country and provide a better future for their kids. And um and and so that helps to counterbalance some of the inherent laziness that you get when you stay in a free society for so long and you're not as and you're not grateful for it you know
0: but that um, only lasts so long as there's a market difference between america and other countries right so while america was the the mm-hmm. beacon on the hill uh, you get self-selection you get the best people from around the world wanting to come here because it's so much better than their current circumstances and yeah so you get the best immigrants coming creating yeah amazing companies and providing jobs and inventing stuff and it's awesome. Yeah. But the more that yeah. America kind of sinks mm-hmm. into the into the abyss and the less difference there is between, you know, right now there's other than owning guns and maybe I I would have said maybe free speech, but not lately with Facebook mm-hmm. and and Twitter and there other other yeah. than maybe owning guns, there's really not a lot of difference between living in Shenzhen and living in San Francisco. Um so maybe for San a San Francisco. lot of people why come here. <laughs> Well, um,
2: I'm <laughs> it's a lot different yeah, I mean, than living where I'm at in Texas.
1: I mean, in Austin, Texas, maybe a different yeah. story. Um, yeah, sure, I get that. But yeah.
0: San Francisco is but, where the country's going and always yeah. has oh. been.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. The Chinese government right now is engaging in a campaign to try to. Uh, to try to, I guess, win win back a lot of really a, a lot of the talent that they lost during the culture Revolution and the Intellectual Revolution. And of course, they're targeting many Asian Americans and things like that. And so, you know, when you have this decline in meritocracy that's going on, you have Asian Americans not being treated well in admissions, not being treated well in company profiles, not being included in this diversity and inclusion narrative. Well, you bet, you know, that there's going to be there's going to be thought and somebody comes up with a nice offer to work on the other side. I mean, I talk about, I talk with the, you know, an engineer, a couple engineers who have switched between China and America and are now feeling the, feeling the push of China again, because it's like, well, you know, are we, are we, are we a country that's going to live up to the principles that we, that we seek to uphold?
2: Yeah. Brain drain.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And I do see a lot of people who survived the cultural revolution and who's who sent their children here um Mm -hmm. i see them now begging their children to return to china because they Mm. think that things in the u.s the landscape in the u.s is is more similar to the cultural revolution the pre-cultural revolution landscape and they're they actually think there are better opportunities in china which is kind of why Mm -hmm. i'm asking that question i I agree with your your sentiment earlier about immigration but like I said it only lasts so long as the United States it's clearly a better choice and I'm not sure that's going to remain the case at, at least for a lot of Asians.
1: Yeah, well, I, I here I, here's why I still think that that's still the case. I mean, sure, China has a has a nice marketing campaign. They'll offer you a lot of money, of course. Um but in many cases in China, especially in the elite, in the elite in China, the money is 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 only one part of the play and in fact can 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 is a tough part of it um because there really is not much freedom in china there really is not much freedom in china to practice your religion to practice your beliefs you know in public you're constantly under surveillance um there a chinese billionaire um there's been a few chinese billionaires you know in china that um that you know, including the alibaba guy jack ma
0: didn't jack ma get in trouble recently
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, he yeah. said some things about the Chinese government that maybe were less than savory and then boom, he disappeared for like two months. Who knows what happens? I think he's back now. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, who knows what happened? You know, it's not um, the, the culture there. Yeah. If you want, if all you care about is money, then maybe the, it might be an attractive offer. But America, there's still things that are more important than money, the freedom to worship, the freedom to speak, the freedom to practice you know, what you can, you know, um, to have a family, to settle down. Um, and also in China, it's so ruthlessly competitive at the top and the elite in the top, like everything's so competition. Cause there's just so many people, you know, America, we have the same area size as China, but we have a fifth of the population of China. I mean, that's going to have an effect as well.
0: Well, you're giving – this is a good good reason to uh, – for us to fight for the other freedoms and maintain the other freedoms in the United States so that it can continue to be a place where people around mm-hmm. the world want to come even if, uh, even if other places are loosening up their economy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, and it goes back to like this whole idea about diversity, right? Diversity – liberals like to argue diversity is our strength and they're correct. Diversity is our strength. Their, their diversity – does help the country in general, especially diversity. I mean, d- intellectual diversity and those kinds of things. The issue with the diversity rhetoric that's going on is that it's not diversity at it's all. At all, it's really enforced sameness. It
3: is um,
1: right. It is. You are. It's we're going to have a, a multiracial cloth of people who think alike. Is that yes, really diverse? Yes. I mean, it's not. And so a lot of people come to this country because they appreciate, you know, the multi-ethnic coalition that we're able to build and we're all able to live together and tolerate each other and have freedom to to take take part in other people's cultures and those kinds of things. And that is an important part, that is an important part of the country and the culture that makes America attractive. Um, but we have to fight for that in the truest sense, not in the false sense that it's currently being marketed.
2: Can you Kenny, um, can, can you tell people uh, first of all, I want to Thank you for coming on the show today and for being patient with us to get you scheduled. Um, We're going to put in the comments, uh, you know, where people can find you, but can you just remind people when is your book coming out and Mm -hmm. what's the, what are the best ways for that people to get in touch with you or to find you online?
1: Yeah. So um, my book is coming out in July, um, July 13th, I think uh, this summer uh, you can find me online in Twitter at Kenny M shoe that's spelled with an X. Uh, you can also find me at Facebook at Kenny M Shu as well. And uh, Carrie Carter, I, you guys just mentioned I started a podcast or I'm starting a podcast and it's coming up very soon. Carrie, um, thank you so much for appearing on it. Uh, it's, it was a great show that I did with you as well. Um, but it's the inconvenient minority podcast. That's going to be started up as well. So you can find that wherever all podcast apps are. Um, and yeah, this is, um, that's, that's where you can find me for sure.
0: Oh, well, thank you for joining. I really appreciate the discussion today, Kenny.
1: Yeah, no, I, I had a great time. I found out about you guys, um, from my friend Barbara, um, and, uh, you know, she highly recommended you guys' podcasts and everything like that. And I just listened to it. I loved it. So I'm happy to be a part of it.
0: See you there.
3: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Any criticism of cancellation will result in cancellation. Here's a fun lived experience. All carbon-based organisms are guilty of oppression against the silicon community. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it. I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. I'm sorry, there is no record of a character named Kara Doom in the Star Wars canon. Please check your request for errors. May the work be with you. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.